You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Please turn to 1 John, towards the back of your Bible. We're going to continue our series um, in 1 John. I want to first uh, just take a, a moment to thank everybody who dropped off food, who dropped off medicine, who went and got supplies for us over the last um, two weeks, Um, and most importantly, all the prayers that um, definitely helped us to recover well. Um, We, all three of us, had had COVID. Um, We had the the fever and the aches and pains and the exhaustion. Um, I never really got... Thankfully, um, especially with Charity's bronchitis, never really got to our lungs um, as much, and, and grateful for that. Um, grateful for your prayers, and I just wanted to thank everybody who chipped in, and, and, and all of you who continue to. Um, I know it's just it's just going to go around. It's going to continue for a bit more. All those who uh, jump in and help um, those that come down with with the sickness and, and different things like that, and. Uh, it's just good to be part of a faith family that is caring and loving and, and understands the, the word koinonia, the fellowship, the partnership that we have with one another. And um, again, Charity and I and Anthony would like to thank you and, you know, and I'll even thank you on behalf of all those that have received something from someone in our faith family. So thank you for that. Um, and again, we're going to continue our series in First John. We're going to look at verses 5 through 10. And if you remember, I know we had a little excursus, and, and thank you, Kenny, for filling in at the last uh, minute. Called him like on Wednesday or Thursday. He's like, hey, you got one in the hopper? He's like, sure. And it actually ended up being, um, as he looked at the first uh, verse of John, it actually kind of fed into a little bit of what we were talking about as we opened up the book of First John. And when, when we opened up the first the, the book in the first four verses of First John, we kind of said that, that the whole book is mainly about four things. And, and the four things, and I'll just remind you of those things, is, is the first thing is this, so that you and I, as believers, may be joyful. That's one of the reasons why John is writing this book. Again, uh, we know that, that John was writing it. He was refuting some false teachers, but he's also just just writing to, to his people and writing to the people of the church in order to, to give them basic Christian fundamentals. Um, and one of the reasons is, is so they may have joy. He says that, that your joy may be complete. And the second reason we talked about was so that you and I, as believers, might be Holy, and he's going to get into a little bit about that today. Is that we may be holy? We know that without being holy, not in our own strength, but under the blood of Christ, that's the only way that we'll be able to be in the presence of God for all of eternity. So it is very important that we understand what it means to be holy and how we obtain that through Christ and all that He has done. And the third thing we talked about was so that you and I, as believers, have assurance of our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. First John is going to challenge us. He, he, he is going to get into your business. He's going to do that today. He's going to ask you, have, have you confessed your sins? It, 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 do you even think that you have sins? I mean, he's, just, he's going to get in our business all through all five chapters. He's, just, he's going, that's the nature of First John. But in that... 
He is poking and prodding and trying to show us so that we may have assurance of our faith. I mean, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. To know that, that whenever Satan is lying to us or whenever we do slip up and we fall into sin and, and that, that it's just not the end. That God has a hold of us. It's not so much us holding on to him. That we have our assurance. And he's going to show us that. He's going to continue to point us back to that. He's going to do a little bit of that today. And the fourth thing we talked about was this. is so that you have confidence in what you believe in an age of theological uncertainty. In other words, that you can be firm in knowing what you know. Like, this is what I know about the, the Christian faith, about God and who Christ is and my standing before him. And, and this is one of the, the fourth reason why John wrote this. So let me read as we move, kick the can down the road a little bit further. Let me read verses 5 through 10, and then I'll pray for us. And we're going to dive in and see what, what John and, and God has for us this morning. So, starting at verse 5, and it's been read several times already today, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let me pray for us. Father, I just ask for your help today. Lord, I pray for your spirit to work through me, through your word. We know that your word never comes back void. And Lord, we know that each one sitting here who is in Christ has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And as they hear your word, not as they hear the man speaking, but as they hear your word, that your spirit will convict them, will give them joy, will show them where they need to repent, will show them who God is. This is the work of the spirit. And Lord, we just pray and ask for your help today as we look at these verses in 1 John. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's the actor and, and film director Woody Allen claims to be an atheist. He's, it says his claim, he's done it on TV, he's done it on Johnny Carr's show, different places like that. On one occasion, he was asked this question, if, if there is a God and if that God should speak to you, what would you most want to hear him say? Woody Allen's answer speaks for all people. He said this, If there is a God who would speak to me, I would most want to hear him say three words. You are forgiven. See, the Apostle John says the only way that you will hear the words, you are forgiven, is if you speak the words, I have sinned. See, humanity has a sin Problem. It is a most fundamental problem and it affects everyone. Every single person who has been born and will be born has been born into Adam and has been born into Adam's rebellion against God. 
So there's a general overarching problem with humanity today, the darkness that we see, the evil that we see, and the, and, the, and the evil we even see in our own hearts when we look in the mirror sometimes, or when we lash out at our spouse, or we say something to a friend. That all is rooted and based in this sin problem. How everyone, however, everyone doesn't agree with this assertion, do they? In fact, many people sitting in churches today would disagree with the assertion that man's fundamental problem is sin. They don't take it as serious. They don't, they don't think that it's, it's that important. It's just, oh, no, I mean, how can I get blessed? How is he going to make me happy? How am I going to get what I want? But what we need to be looking at is the sin issue. And thankfully, as we're going to see today, and as it's already been mentioned, and as we've already sung about, God has cared and loved us and lavished his grace upon us so much that he has done something about our sin problem. He has done something about it. That's wonderful good news. You know what, this idea that, that sin is, is like a, something we don't need to talk about, it's, you know, I just messed up or you know, I just, I just tripped up, this, this, that, and the other. It, it's not really something that's, that's new for 2022, right? It's not something that happened just last year in the last five years. In fact, in 1973, a psychologist, Carl Menninger, wrote a book titled, Whatever Became of Sin. In the book, he gave a critique of modern-day preaching and the noticeable absence of the words, sin. Again, this was 1973, Listen to one expert for, excerpt from this book. It is surely nothing new that men want to get away from acknowledging their sins or even thinking about them. Is this not the religious history of mankind? Perhaps we are only more glib nowadays and equipped with more euphemisms. We can speak of error and transgression, infraction and mistakes without the naive exposure that goes with serious use of that old-fashioned, pietistic word, sin. We just, we don't like talking about it. Obviously, sin is not a popular subject in our day. People will go to great lengths to hide it, to rationalize it, or to deny it, flat out. But we must understand when they deny their sin, what they do is they call God a liar. That's what First John's telling us. If you say you have no sin, then you're a liar. That's, that's hard. Like I said, John's going to get in our business. They challenge his word and question his character. If sin is not serious, stop and think about this. I mean, so many of us, you've probably heard this. I know that, that we've, in, in, in the time that I've had to, to listen to some of the, the folks that are doing work on, on the campus, they've heard this idea, that this, this wretched idea that, wait a minute, God killed his own son? I have nothing to do with Christianity because of that. But that just shows you the seriousness, seriousness of sin. In the serious place we are, in sin. See, if sin was not serious, then Jesus did not have to die, did he? There could be another way. But you know what? The Apostle John has an altogether different understanding, both of sin's severity and a Savior's necessity. He has an altogether different understanding of this, both of sin's severity and a Savior's 
necessity. If you listen to what a person believes about sin, it will show you what they truly believe about God. Right? If you're talking to someone and, 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 and the conversation of sin comes up, or if you're talking about them as their, their moral behavior or, or what they're doing or what they're honoring or what they're worshiping or what they're giving their lives to, and you hear them talk about that sin, you can really understand what they truly believe about God. This is why John in these verses about, about sin begins with what? He begins with a declaration of who God is. We must always begin with God, right? If we begin with what man thinks and what man believes, we will most assuredly go wrong in our thinking, won't we? We must, believe, we must begin with what the Bible says about God, who He is, and what He has done. We must always begin with the Word of God. We must always begin with who God is and not what man thinks. 1 John 1.5 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John has a message to announce. This message, remember, is not something that that John and his buddies went into the cave and came up with and we'll just write this down. Yeah, this happened. Maybe that happened. Oh, we'll say this happened. No, we learned in, in two weeks ago now, whenever we looked at the first four verses, that John's message, this message that he's proclaiming to everyone, is because he actually saw Jesus. It's because he actually touched Jesus. Because they actually heard what he taught. They were there with him. That's the validity of the message, is that they were actually there with God, with Jesus. They touched his hands and his side It had holes in them after he was resurrected from the grave. That's the validity of their message. They were there with him. And what is this announcement? What is it an announcement that that John wants to tell us? It's this, God is light. God is light. This statement, God is light, has been interpreted in several different ways. First, it could be a description of the visible manifestation of God's glory. You know, if you think about the burning bush. You think about the, the glory that passed by Moses in the, in the cleft of the rock. He, it could be interpreted in that way. A second way it could be interpreted would be some have seen it as a statement of reference to God's self-revelation to man. In other words, it's saying that God is light, meaning that he has actually shown himself to man through his son, through creation, through his word. This light enables us to see and we know that that's, that's true. I mean, that's valid thing. Whenever the Corinthians tells us that, that we don't see the Word, the Word doesn't open up to us, that it doesn't make much sense to us until we've been given the Spirit and, and our eyes have been lightened, right? That our minds have been lightened, that we can actually see the Word for what it truly is and see Him for who He truly is. So that's a valid statement. So is the first one. I think that they're both through, true. Though these first two options are true, contextually this does not seem to be what John has in mind here at all. Most likely, this is a phrase that refers to the moral perfection of God. That there is not a blemish, a stain, a mark, or sin within the character of God. That's what it means that that God is light. 
He has absolute holiness and purity. He has absolute holiness and purity, which John emphasizes with the negative statement of the positive, right? Within that verse, he says, in him is no darkness at all. Literally, in, in the Greek, the statement reads, there is no darkness in him, none. It's a double negative. He's trying to emphatically say that there is no darkness in God. He is perfect light. He is perfectly pure. There's no sin in him. There's no faults in him. He does not do anything wrong. He is not capable of doing anything wrong. It is not within his character. Why is this so important? Well, we can let R.C. Sproul answer that in his book, The Holiness of God. He answers that question this way. When we understand the character of God, when we grasp something of his holiness, then we begin to understand the radical character of our sin and hopelessness. You see what he's saying? He's saying whenever you hold up the character of God, who God is, then we can actually see ourselves for who we truly are. You know, this is something that, that I, I attempt to do. I, I don't know if I do it well or, or if I get there very often on, on a Sunday, but that's what I'm trying to do each and every Sunday, is I'm trying to hold up Christ for who he is so you may see him for who he is. Because that's how you're going to change from one glory to another. Yes, it does help sometimes to get those couple steps that we can use through the Scripture and what the Word says that we might be able to do, what, what we might need to put off and what we might need to put on. But we truly change and we truly move from one glory to another by seeing Him for who He truly is. And that's what R.C. is saying here. He's saying when we understand the character of God, when we grasp something of his holiness, then we begin to understand the radical character of our sin and hopelessness. We start to see our salvation as it truly is. How what a wonderful and great thing it truly is. It's not something that we just take advantage of. We truly see it for what it is. He goes on to say, helpless sinners can survive only by grace. Our strength is futile in itself. We are spiritually impotent without the assistance of a merciful God. Again, it is God's salvation. God is the one saving us. See, this is why John begins with this statement about God. Because now he wants to say something about sin. He wants to compare the two. He wants to show you this is who God is. God is light. He is perfect. He is pure. Now I want to say something about sin. In other words, John wants to say something and God wants to say something. So look at verses 6 through 7 with me. John goes on to say this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here, this begins five statements, if statements. They're conditional statements. If this is true, then this is true, right? If this happens, then this happens. This is, this is what he's doing here in, in these verses. And I believe the first thing we need to do is define what it means to walk in the light. If we get this right, I, I think we can, you know, it's good for us to be able just to read what the Bible says 
and, and understand it. That's why we consistently tell you just read it, right? Read it. You, you, you don't need Greek scholars. You don't need you read it. You have the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, yes, we do need help. But I think if, if we define what it means to walk in the light, and much of what John says in these verses really falls into place. We can see the contrast that he uses, and, and we, we understand what he's saying. Because the, the positive thing, I mean, most of the things that he's talking about are negative. But the most positive thing is, is in verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We all should say amen. Amen. So, let's go to John for that answer. What does it mean to walk in the light? Well, John's going to tell us. If, if you just turn, or maybe you don't have to turn, just look into chapter 2 at verse 10. He's going to tell us what it means to walk in the light. In 1 John 2.10, he says this. Whoever loves his brother does what? Abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. So John has defined what it means to walk in the light. To walk in the light means that you love your brother. To walk in the light means to love. We see that walking in the light is loving our brother. I would argue that love is our basic righteousness. Whenever you hear someone from, from the pulpit or you read in the Bible that, that we need to have this righteousness, I think that the Bible shows us and Jesus tells us that that righteousness is love. It is love for God and it is love for our neighbor. It's this love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's love for those who do not yet know Christ. That our basic righteousness is love and the lack of love is the basis for sin. So whenever we're not loving God and we're not loving our brother and sister, we are probably in sin. We are probably walking in this darkness that he's talking about. So love is walking in the light, which is our righteousness, and a lack of love is walking in darkness or walking in sin. So now it doesn't matter what Joe thinks. If I can't show you from the word of God that this is true, right? It doesn't matter what Joe thinks. I, I, I can say a lot of things, but I need to be able to open up the Word of God and show you where Jesus says this. And there are clear statements in Scripture which indicate that love is the basic righteous, righteousness of all. And we see this first one in Matthew 27, 37 through 40. When the Lord Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? How did he answer that? Matthew 27, 37 through 40 says this. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. So everything that was written is written. These two commandments covers it. In other words, you want to fulfill righteousness, then you love God and you love your neighbor. You love your brother and sister in Christ. You love the unbeliever. This is what Jesus is saying. 
This is how righteousness is fulfilled. Here, God in human flesh is saying that all of the requirements of the Old Testament were summed up in basically one word, love. Love, your, love for God and love for man. Any man, all men. Not the ones that you put stipulations on and, and don't put stipulations on. I know I, I struggle with that quite often. But we are to love all men. Everybody. Right? We also see this when Jesus was interacting with one of the lawyers in Luke 10, 25. I didn't pull this up, but you guys kind of remember the story. You probably know the story that follows this interaction between the lawyer and Jesus. When he says, who is my neighbor? Because the lawyer answers Jesus, how do I have eternal life? He says, well, right, I love God and I love my my neighbor and Jesus is like you have answered correctly and then the, and the lawyer's like who's my neighbor and we get the the story of the good samaritan right in this confrontation Jesus confirmed the lawyer's answer to have eternal life one is to love God perfectly and to love his neighbor perfectly that's what that's what the, the lawyer said he's like this is what I'm to do I'm to love God perfectly and love my neighbor perfectly Jesus said yes that's exactly how you get eternal life that's exactly how your righteousness comes about before God. You love God and you love your neighbor. And then, of course, again, the lawyer went in to who is my neighbor, and Jesus went into the parable. So love is the key to fellowship with God and with our brothers and sisters. So let's read these verses again, knowing what is being asked of us to walk in the light. And allow the Spirit to speak to us to what God is saying. And another place, if you want to look it up, is in Romans 12, where Paul talks about, he goes through the Ten Commandments, and it's all, it's all tied into love, if you want to look at that on your own. But let's just read these verses. Now we know what it means to walk in the light. It's, it's to love God and to love man. When I say man, all men and women, that's just everybody. Right? So it says this. If we say we have fellowship, this is the same word, koinonia. If we, we have intimate relationship, if, if we have a communion-style relationship, just like you have with your brother and sister, just like you have with your spouse, with your mom and dad, this really close communal relationship with God. Right? If you say you have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light. So if we walk in love as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The love that is required, the love that he requires, right, the, to be walking in the light, the love that he requires is not even something that we produce on our own. John later tells us in 1 John 4, 19 through 21, what does he say? He says, we love why? Because he first loved us. This is, this is why we love. This is the, the root of our love. This is what produces our love. It's the fact that he loved us first by sending his son to die for us, to take, over, take away our sins. So our love is brought, up, brought about by, conditioned by, depending on his love to us first. That's great. That's wonderful news. 
He's lavished his grace. He's lavished his love on us. And in return, then we can love him and love others because of it. His love is the incentive, the, the motive, and the moral cause of our love. See, it's not something that we all, I mean, I, I got to, you know, pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'm going to go do this. No. It's about seeing him for who he truly is. And when we see him for who he truly is, it changes our heart because we see our sin for what it truly is. And then when we see our sin for what it truly is, then we truly see the wonderful thing that he did on the cross for us. And that produces love. And out of that overflow of love, we love him back and we love our brothers and sisters. All men. All walks of life. How does he produce, further produce, and help us produce this love inside a believer? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. We, each of us who are in Christ, has the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Right? Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 says this. Listen to how the love is, is being poured out through the Holy Spirit. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So he's going to give you power through the Spirit of God. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? In love. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's through the power of the Spirit. It's through His Spirit dwelling in us. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead now dwells in us. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, the very first thing that He talks about is what? Love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Because of what God has done, we have the ability to walk in the light. We have the ability to walk in love, but it's our choice if we do so or not. It's our choice whether we love God or we love man. And the wonderful thing is, is when he says, when we choose to walk in the light, when we choose to walk in this love, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. But you know what? This only happens. This can only happen. This, this covering of the blood, this, this thing that's already happened that we continue to walk in, this can only happen if we are not self-deceived. And that's exactly what John's going to tell us next. This was a problem with those who were listening to all the false teachers around Remember that, that John was also writing this because there's some false teachers, these Gnostics, that, that believe that, that had a couple different beliefs, actually. One belief they had was that the body's no good and, and God w- does not care about the body, that the only thing that matters is the spirit. So guess what? Just go sin and do whatever you want. It doesn't matter what you do in your body, even though the Bible was very contrary to that idea. And, and then... Th- th- some other of the Gnostics believe that it is very much like a, a, a fundamental, a, a legalistic idea of here's, here's what God might have said, but we're going to add on 300 more rules and laws that you must follow in order to be with God for all eternity. 
See, what they were believing is that they had no sin. And you know what? Unfortunately, in some circles, that's still being taught today. Some people still teach today, right now, that if, if, if I'm done speaking and, and I call you forward and you come down and you say a prayer, that whenever you get up from the altar, you are now sinless. Well, that's, I, I can attest to that. I know me. No way that's true. But this is what some of the things that he's refuting here. And he's saying, no, no, no. If you say you have no sin, then you're a liar. They were believing that they had no sin, but John lays out the conditions of fellowship with God in in verses 8 through 10. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So how do we continue to walk in the light, to walk in love? We acknowledge our sin, and we confess it, allowing the blood of Jesus to cleanse it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, repentance, telling our sin, to repenting of our sin, to, to God, and sometimes we have to do it to our brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a good thing. This is not something to look down at. This is a good thing. He's saying that as we confess that he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But I, I want to make sure that we understand. Remember we, we said at the beginning that one of the four things that John is trying to do is give us assurance. But if you read this and take this on face value, he's saying that the only way that we have fellowship with God is if we walk in the light. But by the way... If you say that you don't have sin, which means that you're walking in darkness, then you don't have fellowship with God. And you're like, what are you trying to say, John? You're like, you're saying that that we must walk in this love and we must walk in this light. But if you say that you don't have any darkness, that if you say that you don't have any sin, then you're a liar and you're making God a liar. So which is it? Well, it's both and. It's both in. It's not either or. And we get this into the two different kinds of forgiveness. And what's happening with our relationship and our fellowship with God. See, sometimes we read this and we say, okay, we're looking at, okay, I'm going to lose my fellowship with God. That means I lost my salvation. Ernt, that's wrong. It's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying at all. In fact, for the very fact that he is saying that you must admit and confess your sins or you're a liar, he's trying to say that, oh, by the way, even though you're walking in love, even though you're walking in the light, even though Jesus has covered your, your sins, right, that you're going to sin. You're going to sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think that if we understand the two different forgivenesses that's happening here, it'll help us to go on to understand what John is showing us. And I, I think here that we can see an eternal forgiveness and something that is familial or family forgiveness, right? Stop and think about this. Just think about your family. 
right? There's been times when whenever you were a child, some of us it's a little bit longer ago than others. Some of you might be walking in it right now. There will be times where you upset your father, where you do things against his rules, against maybe even the, the law of the land. You have done things to hurt him. Right? And you need to ask forgiveness. And you have broken that fellowship with your dad. Right? It's been broken. It's been, even sometimes it gets broken because they have done things. Right? But it doesn't change. The bottom line is it's still your dad and you're still his son or daughter. And this is exactly what John is trying to show us. There's a difference between eternal forgiveness and there's a difference between familial or family forgiveness. And whenever he talks about fellowship, he's talking about this intimate communion that we have with God on a day-to-day basis. He's not talking about the overall forgiveness of sins and that fellowship we have with him. So let me just walk us through this. At the moment of salvation, by God's grace, the new believer is given forgiveness for all of his sins, past, present, future, through the Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed for them. Romans 8, 1 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. At the same time, the righteousness of God is imputed to him as his legal heavenly position in Christ. He will never lose this forgiveness and this righteousness standing before God. You're never losing that if it's under Christ. However, when the believer sins, even though he does not lose his eternal relationship with God, he does lose his intimacy with him and in need of family or familial forgiveness. This is why we must continue to confess our sins so that we have that relationship with him, that we have that consistent relationship with him, that family relationship. A good illustration of this is think of the sun on any given day. On any given day, you walk outside and you either say what? Oh, the sun's out today or the sun's not out today, right? But what is the truth? The sun's always shining. It's just whether or not you can see it. But the sun is always shining. If you are under the blood of Christ, you will always be forgiven. It's just whether or not you see the light or don't see the light. That's the difference. Why is it sometimes you roll in here on a, on a Sunday morning and, and the prayer is sweet and the songs are sweet and the message hit home and you're walking out the door with a step? Well, I would imagine that, that you've, you've communed with God in such a way that maybe that, that you've seen the light, you've seen the sun. Maybe you spent some time repenting. Maybe whenever, because just about every time on a Sunday morning, the person up here that's leading us in prayer calls us to repent. And maybe we actually do repent of our sins. And then the rest of the service just kind of opens up and it feels good. That's not God changing anything about God. That's you changing your position before him. The dark clouds have been removed because you've repented of your sin. It's not something like the the Holy Spirit fell and everything was great. No, it's you. God doesn't change. He's unchanging. It's how you experience him. It's how you experience him by how you walk through that door. And this is what John's trying to show us. 
that we need to continue to repent of our sins. So, Satan, when you confess your sin to your Father in heaven, God himself removes the clouds which have gathered. And you again live in brightness and the warmth of the sun. This happens when we confess our sin. What it means to confess our sin is this. It is to say the same thing about our sin that God says about it. We don't, we don't just kind of go our own path. Do we actually dig into the word of God and see what God says about our sin? And then we say the same thing about it. Because oftentimes, I know if it's Joe, it's like, you know, I, I know how Joe does this. He, he's like, oh, but... You know, I know I kind of sinned, but I have some stipulations here that maybe not made it as bad. No, we can't do that. <laughs> we can't do that. we got to say exactly what God says about our sin. That's what it means to confess it, to say the same thing that God says about our sin. This is what David did after sinning with Bathsheba. Listen, listen to, to the way he talks. He, he talks about the clouds and in how they break free. In Psalm 32, verse 3 says, For then I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. There's, there's the clouds that's covering him between him and God. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I confessed. I said the same thing you say about sin back to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He goes on and talks about the sun shining to keep our illustration going. So since 1 John 1, 9 promises that God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the believer can be assured that upon confession of sin, we immediately obtain forgiveness, just as David. God is light, is the message of 1 John 5 through 10. If we are to walk in the light, if we are to walk in love, as we are called to do, our first step is to recognize the darkness within. We're not going to love God, and we're not going to love our brothers and sisters if we don't first acknowledge our true self before God and repent of that. This is what John is showing us. A proper assessment of self and sin in which we say neither we have no sin nor we have not sin, but rather we have sin and we still sin should lead us to a life of constant contrite confessions whereby the Father's forgiveness is given and our fellowship with God and others through the blood of Christ is renewed. It's like a circle. It's the Christian life. We walk this. We even have brothers and sisters. He's designed it in such a way that most of every single one of us have blind spots. So we need brothers and sisters to come alongside of us who have been reading the scripture, who have been praying for you, who have been seeking God on your behalf that might see some blind spots and point them out to you and then also point out to you how the scripture can help you overcome those blind spots. This is the process of becoming more and more like Christ. It should also lead to a life that reflects 
the light of God, the love of God, the, the holiness of God. Not perfectly, never in this lifetime, but little by little, more and more. A theme that we will explore throughout the epistle. This idea of love is going to come up over and over and over again as we walk through 1 John. We, we know that if you've read the book of John, right? Love is huge with him. So the question to ask and, and the thing to leave you with right now is this. Today, do you need to confess sin before we take these elements that point us to the washing away of sin? Do you need to ask God in the Spirit to show you something? Or is there something that you honestly know <laughs> that you just need to deal with God about? And you can boldly and humbly go to the throne of God and ask for forgiveness. And you have been forgiven. And you will restore that fellowship with God. He'll be close again. He'll feel close to you. He'll draw close to you. So I'm just going to give you a moment to do so before we take our communion elements. And this is where I'll leave us today. Let me pray. Father, I just ask for humility on everybody's part. Lord, I know John's messing with our lives here. He is getting into our business. And really, it's you, God. You're speaking to us. Yes, we don't like to see the darkness. But Lord, what greatness, what great joy there is knowing that there's a way out of the darkness. That if, if we've walked in here today and we cannot see the sun because the clouds are covering up, that through confession of our sin, Lord, you will remove the clouds and you will draw close to us. Father, we know this because we're about to take the representation of, of your body being broken for our sin and your blood that was shed to cover our sin. Lord, you have poured out your love on us. So as you have first loved us, we will love you back. We will trust you that we can go to your throne because of Christ and repent of our sins. Lord, help us do so today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.